Welcome to In The Isles, your favourite lockdown therapy podcast. In summary, it, it's crass, it's cringe. Not in it for the money, yet. I mean, we've got global listeners. That give me validation. Paul Burnham. Carrie Mulligan. Amelia Jones. Gal Gadot. Dune. Stephen Graham. Lovely stuff. You absolute idiot. Epic waste of my time. Bloated disaster. Oh my word. What's wrong with you? We've declared Marvel fatigue. All sequels or reboots. Inspired. Piss funny. Was absolutely awesome. There's some truly shocking twists and turns in this. Hated it. Overrated. I'm sure it'll be ruined. Sheer artistry. Sheer brilliance. Fantastic and brilliant. You need to see it to appreciate it. Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that made it to the end of 2021. I'm James. I'm Dan. This is the year in review episode, where we'll talk about our top five TV and film, our biggest disappointments, and we will have the prestigious award given to the most featured actor or actress of the year. And I believe that celebrity will be accepting such award in person. They will be making an appearance on this podcast, so... No false promises there. Totally genuine announcement. Before we delve in, James, do you, do you have any reflective thoughts on this year? I think last year we were quite pessimistic because it had been it had been a rough one. Um, sorry to say, this one's not been much better. We're uh, another year down, one step closer to impending death. But uh, how are you feeling about this year? It's had enough good moments, both cinematically and personally, to be a good year. But... I think we thought that we'd be more in the clear with things than we are. And now we're going back into the dark times again. Yeah, it's it's seriously not great, is it? There's been no real full return to normality and still a lot of uncertainty. But if there was one thing that remained certain and ever constant, it was this podcast. I don't think we missed a week. We've not wavered. We've stuck through. We've done well. But yeah, let, let's get serious, James. Do you um, do you still enjoy doing this? Does it become a chore? <laughs> yes, I do. I do still enjoy doing it for the love of the pod as a hobby. We're not in it for the money yet. Very key word there is yet because we will take it if you offer an annoying ad within this podcast. We will snap your hand off. I don't think that's the phrase. We'll bite your hand off yeah. greedily. Are you still enjoying it? No, I certainly am. I'm, I'm not going to lie. There have been very testing moments, and I'll probably let the listeners in on a bit of background as to what happened this week. So if you're a Kino in the Isles follower, you will have noticed that the episode dropped late on Monday, and that was because I've been rinsing my company for an Adobe Audition license for the best part of 18 months, and they finally found me out and took it off me halfway through editing. So I had the nightmare of having no means of finishing the episode without having to stump up the cash myself, which I eventually did, and I'm annoyed about it. But yeah, it's that that's true though, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background that people just don't realise. Like I calculated this the other week. Collectively, between you and I, there is at least 12 hours of viewing per week at the least. Yeah. And we've got, an hour and a half of recording, two hours of editing after that. There's a lot that goes into this pod. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I just wanted to highlight that. You edit you, you edit in two hours? 
two and a half, three. Depends. Depends how long we waffled on for. Why? How long does it take you? I don't want to say now. Uh, it's okay. like four or five hours. Right. Okay. I've got a convenient tool that strips out any long pauses, though. Do you not do that? No, I don't do that. It really, really changes the game. So I'm not suggesting that you abandon GarageBand and go down the Adobe Audition route, but just something to consider for the new year. I might gift it you. People don't realise the efforts I went to to stack my microphone on top of shoeboxes and books so that I could stand up while I was singing the Kanye West Slow Jams cover for the Vintage Review jingle. Uh, got a bit of an ear bashing off your wife as well, didn't you? Yes, I did. She came in while I was doing it and said, this is really bad. Do you realise how bad this is? It's embarrassing. And I said, I'm all touching it, so it's fine. And let me just tell you, it sounds beautiful. Thank you. Shall we quit the foreplay and go into the top five? TV shows, no? Um, yes, I'm not trying to drag this out. I just want to know, because we should always say up top, what's your process of going into this? How do you monitor what you watch? What's your rules around what gets chosen and what can't? Give me a bit of a background as to your process. I look at the Instagram page to see what I've watched and reviewed. Anything that I haven't reviewed that is worth remembering, I will remember it. And I am using things that were released in the UK in the calendar year 2021. So it does include things that you might think that's from last year, you absolute idiot. <laughs> but from Albert's perspective, it hasn't been possible to review it or include it or discuss it until this year. And am I right in saying one of your rules last year was you can only have something within your top five as a contender if you have finished it in full? Yes, I'm fairly certain that's what I said. And that holds this year. What's your process? So every time, and this is a process that has failed because I'm very disorganized. Every time I watch something, I add it to a list within IMDb, which is conveniently called 2021. And if I find time, I will rate it afterwards. So I'm basically saving myself a hell of a lot of time, get to the end of the year, list things by order of my rating, and it becomes very clear what needs to be in my top five list. So I feel like I've got it nailed down pretty much. I just need to remember to add them to my IMDb list, which is not always done. Shall we go for top five TV shows then? Let's do this. We'll go back and forth. My number five and then your number five. My number five, Invincible, the Amazon Prime animated series based on the popular comic starring Stephen Yen, Sandra Oh, and J. Jonah Jameson. The animation by design was okay, but the writing and the characters and the, the story, the big twist, the first episode twist, is truly inspired. Do you know what? That had become a distant memory for me. I forgot you'd even reviewed it. And I'm ashamed to say I never worked my way around to it. So the very fact that it's in your top five prompted my memory once again. I may well watch it. I won't. What about you watch your number five? Not that long ago, I discovered the BBC Three comedy, Bladhood, which I discussed a couple of months back uh, about a lad from up north re-evaluating his present-day behaviour by taking a trip down memory lane and showing us his youth and the many mistakes that he made. It's set around the early 2000s, so very much when me and you were in our high school days. And because of that, it was just a really relatable 
and piss funny program that I still there's one line in it that I cannot help but laugh every time I think of it to myself which sometimes makes me look a wee bit insane but Liam Wilkinson who is the writer and star of this he's he's struck comedy gold with this I absolutely love Ladhood and that is why it is my number five I too am ashamed to say I haven't watched it it fits in with the UK TV comedy canon that we've brought up a few times this year and nice to see that British comedy isn't dead. It is alive and well, and this being a fine example of it. So there we go. My number four TV show, staying within the UK, Time, the prison drama starring Sean Bean and Stephen Graham. Sean Bean is a mild-mannered English teacher, and he is sent to prison for killing a man, as he says. And it is about Sean Bean navigating the quite unpleasant UK prison that he is in and he develops a friendship with Stephen Graham who is the prison officer written by Jimmy McGovern it was a four-part series that was incredibly moving insightful dramatic horrific educational which is the same as insightful but I thought it was absolutely fantastic and brilliant yet another that I didn't see and that is a true crime because isn't it only three episodes long it's not a big dedication that show is it four episodes Oh, right, no, that's like that's a write-off then. I'm not bothering. It's too much of my time. It's weird, isn't it? It probably goes for a lot of what we'll discuss today, but that was hot for a week, and then no one's discussed it since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I remember how um, keen you were on it at the time, so I'm not surprised to see in your list. Very good pick. What's your number four? This one is a shock to me. It is Holston. This is a Ryan Murphy show that is about fashion that I reviewed some months ago. If somebody had told me what it was about, I very much doubt I would ever have watched it. I just thought, I'll shove it on, see what the crack is, and we'll go from there. It's a rise and fall story, and I think not having the foggiest about the fashion industry made it even more intriguing to me. Uh, Ewan McGregor, earlier this year, he won, he won an Emmy for his portrayal of fashion icon Halston, and for good reason too, because he's bloody awesome in this. It is quite a sad tale in some respects, but at the same time, it's really good to see the highs with which he came to prominence. A good all-rounder that is very good at recreating the time period in which it's set as well, so it has that going for it, which is not a surprise, given it's a Ryan Murphy joint. One of a number of fashion-themed pieces of content from this year, along with Cruella and House of Gucci. I think it is just those three, though. I think it is, but for two 30-something blokes who don't really give a shiny shite about fashion, I think that's more than enough, isn't it? I think so. What's your number three? Arcane, the animated Netflix series based on League of Legends, which I haven't played, from French animation studio Fortiche. It has animation in it where you don't even know whether you're watching CG or hand-drawn animation or even live action at times. The mix of, of styles and techniques is unlike anything I've seen before. It has to be seen to be believed. So it's got that going for it. But also the world building is fantastic. The two cities, the, the, the rich city and the poor city and the way they interact with each other. The sense that there are actually people living their lives in these cities. There's a history and a, and a politics going on outside of the characters. But then even the actual characters, V and Powder, the two sisters who were in conflict with each other, they are believable characters that are very well voiced by Hayley Stanfield and Ella Purnell. 
it was a huge surprise how good this was. I wasn't going to put it this high at first, but I bumped it above time just because of the sheer artistry of the animation. And again, I'm speculating if I had finished it, because I've only seen one episode, I suspect it may have been in my top five as well. But I couldn't because of the damn rules. Of note is that when Empire Magazine did the Insta post for their top TV shows, Arcane was not included. And a good number of comments on the post said, where is Arcane? Where is Arcane? You are out of touch for not putting Arcane, for not realising how popular and good this show is. That gave me validation. I, I take it that was an editorial piece as well and not a uh, reader's vote. I think it was an editorial piece. You could you could tell from what was included and you could tell from Marvel being included. That was obviously a paid inclusion. Like WandaVision and Loki in the top 10. Come on. What's your top three? Number three. Number three is Mayor of Easttown. Now, given crime dramas are my bread and butter, it's no surprise that at least one of them made it into the top five. But wow, what a selection process that was because I've binged a lot of it this year. And for every 20 detective shows, you get one that stands out. And this year, for me, it was this show. It's got all the staples of your usual crime drama. There's nothing unique about it plot-wise from the you know the initial setup point of view. But it's all down to the execution. And there's just very little for me to criticise when it comes to that. Kate Winslet stars as the central detective mayor and... She lets you know that she is not slumming it by going to TV. She's not, right? She could be in films if she wants to. This is just a good script, and she brings a really good performance. She's quite abrasive at points, and she makes some downright inexcusable decisions, but somehow she manages to keep you on her side. And it's just a very well-balanced portrayal, and, you know, she knows what she's doing. I like the mystery elements. It starts off as a standard missing girl type of situation, but there's some truly shocking twists and turns in this. I got the impression that it was well-conceived from the off. The, the twists aren't in there for the shock value. They're there because they actually make sense. All too often, these shows start strong and have a really unsatisfactory conclusion, but this one was solid throughout and had a pretty unexpected emotional finale that wrapped things up in a, a bittersweet bow. Lovely stuff. Just please don't ruin it with the second season. And am I right in thinking that they weren't planning on doing the second season, but they are doing it because they can't resist because it was so successful? Exactly that. I'm sure it'll be ruined. They'll taint my memory of the original series, but whatever. That's the way of the world these days, isn't it? Yep. James, hit me with your number two. Heels, the wrestling drama on Star's Play. Not another about fashion. No, no, it's not. It's That refers to... Heels as in bad guys in wrestling. It's about a small town wrestling promotion in rural America, struggling to survive financially, run by Stephen Amell of Arrow fame. And he also works with his brother, played by Alexander Ludwig from Vikings. I liked this because I am an on and off fan of wrestling and it is a serious, respectful and honest portrayal of the business. It takes it so seriously that you do invest in the drama of the characters, again, which is a theme of this top five. It has complex characters who go from being not very nice to sympathetic. You learn more and more about their history and their motivations as things unravel. And Kelly Berglund, who I'd not seen anything before, is a former Disney star. She is a female wrestler trying to break into the industry and she has a interesting arc that is as 
good to watch as the brother dynamic between Stephen Amell and Alexander Ludwig. It just hit me in all the right ways, this programme. It might not technically be the best one. Time is probably the more respectful, highly reviewed one. But I liked seeing wrestling drama play out, how they talk about the booking and the finishes and things like that. Hit you in the right way. What, with a chair to the face? Yeah, unprotected chair shot to the head. And we've not done this for any of the previous things that we've mentioned because, let's be honest, it's too much research that we didn't have the time to do. But just curious on this one, where did you watch it again? Where was it available? It's available through a premium subscription on Amazon Prime. Like The, the stars play additional subscription on Amazon Prime. And if you are interested in watching any of these shows, just download the Real Good app and it'll tell you exactly where you can watch those things, just as yeah. a tip. Daniel, what's your number two TV show? So I'm getting a bit nervous now because we've had no crossover and I fear that both are number... Oh, hang on, you've done number two. No, right, I'm confused. I don't know where we're going. Mine is The White Lotus. This show offered a much-needed form of escapism. And I, I don't want to bang on about COVID in this episode. We've, we've all dealt with it far too much, but... The vast majority of people, we, we've not been on holiday for the best part of two years. And here we get to see how the other half live. And we spend time at a luxury hotel resort with some pretty obnoxious and overprivileged white folk. Now, that might seem like most people's idea of a nightmare, watching all the things you didn't have the option to do at the time. But I didn't feel that way. I kind of got lost in this setting and it made me forget about my everyday worries. Murray Bartlett, who is the hotel manager in this trying to pander to his guests demands he was brilliant i loved him in this but it's not just him it's a cast of absolutely crazy people who are all flawed but immensely watchable i would say it's probably the best ensemble cast of a tv show this year just they've got a very varied mix of actors all bringing something different and i can't express enough how much i loved that exotic setting and i think you spoke about it at the time too um the music that accompanies it it's unlike anything i've ever heard before and it gave it this really unique atmosphere and i constantly had it playing around in my head in summary it's crass it's cringe but it's got some laugh out loud moments and there's some nice dramatic touches as well so it made it compelling viewing for me and that's why it's my number two fully agree with everything that you've said it was excellent and that's why I was confused when I realised you'd already listed your number two, because I was almost certain that that would find its way into your top five. But uh, stiff competition, it would seem. James, drop a bomb now. Give me your number one TV show of 2021. I'm not going to be shocked in the slightest. No, you're not. Succession series is series, in three, series three. We've mentioned it many, many times. Written by the great Jesse Armstrong, who also wrote The Thick of It. I think it has a little bit of an unfair advantage because I binged season one and two and then went seamlessly into series three, still in the glow of how good season one and two, especially two, is. However, the standard of the writing is so high. It's so high where every single word carries some meaning with it. And the true genius of it is how most of the time the characters are saying the opposite of what they really think or they're hiding what they really think but you do still get a sense most of the time of what everyone wants to do you've said before it's basically the same thing over and over again it's just a series of business meetings or secret business meetings that's the entire program but somehow it's so good and brian cox as the patriarch 
he's evil and brilliant, but the dynamic between the four siblings is masterfully done in a way that I can't even begin to describe. The character arc of someone like Kendall, who turns into like a woke, crusading tech bro, who is high on his own ego, is hilarious. I'm not going to go through every character, but truly on a, on another level. Yeah, well, I don't want to comment too much on what you said, because um, that leave me with anything to say in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, what's your number one show? Yes, people are probably sick of hearing us talk about this show, but it is Succession. And at this point, I don't care if you're sick of hearing us talk about it, because if you are, it's because you haven't watched it. And I'm sorry, but that mistake's on you to rectify. So go away and do that now. F- finish the episode first. I had heard about this a while ago, but it just it just didn't make a dent in me. I, w- I wasn't compelled to watch it. But then we did the segment, didn't we? Top 100 shows of the 21st century. This was within the top 10. And based on that, and as you said before, some of the previous things that Jesse Armstrong's done, I was like, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. And my word, does it not disappoint? I want to amend something that I said in my initial review. So I'd only seen season one when I reviewed it for this podcast. And I said... It captivated me, despite the fact that all the people in it are just deeply reprehensible. And I've now finished all three seasons, and they are still a bunch of narcissistic assholes, but somehow I've grown to love and care about some of them. Not all of them, some of them. And I just can't remember the last time that I fell so head over heels for a show, and it's largely down to what you said about the writing. It's just so sharp. The theme tune is now my ringtone. That is that is how obsessed I am with this show. I need to let everybody know. <laughs> Every season, it's like a fire's been lit, and each episode that goes along, you get to watch the flames build and build until it's this inferno, which actually happens like quite a few times during the season. That's probably a terrible analogy, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I can't think of anything more to say about this other than brilliant, sheer brilliance. So we synced up in the end with the... Same, number one. But shall we quickly say what our top fives were? From five to one, I had Invincible, Time, Arcane, Heels, and Succession Season 3. A very solid and varied list. Mine, number five, Ladhood, then Holston, Mayor of Easttown, The White Lotus, and Succession. Quite telling, isn't it, that in my list, I, I, I don't know your list, off the top of my head, even though you just read it to me. But three HBO shows, they are knocking it out of the park. Three out of five HBO, well done you. And only one Netflix show each, despite the sheer amount of content that Netflix put out. I noted that as well, and I'm very proud, and you should be too. We've not done it on purpose. We're not ignoring Netflix. It's just you're not hitting the same standards. A good year for TV. Was it a good year for films? Let's find out when we reveal our top five films of 2021. We're in the world of films. So for my number five, I can't believe this is my number five. I swapped my number five out about eight times. My list of honourable mentions is ridiculous this year. But it had to be Greenland. Yeah. Yeah, saw your face then, saw your reaction. Taken at face value, Greenland is a pretty standard run-of-the-mill end-of-the-world action thriller. But for better or worse, it arrived at the exact right time for me, or wrong time, depending on how you look at it. Because the fact that this is about an impending global catastrophe was all a bit too relevant 
when it hits streaming services in February. And I know this is about asteroids hurtling towards the Earth, but the level of fear, uncertainty and panic that was evident in this film was just too real. I said it on the episode, we found it, me and my partner, genuinely too tense to carry on watching. We had to turn it off and pick it up another day. And even when we did that two weeks later, I still found it really hard to watch. It just hit too close to home, given everything that was going on in the world at the time and some more personal circumstances we found ourselves in with not being able to see family and illness and things like that. It it just felt too immediate and real. And I will admit I was emotionally raw and I think it impacted me more than it would if I were to say watch it now. I just, it probably wouldn't hit me in the same way, but this was an experience that was very hard hitting for me at that point in time. And I just haven't forgotten about it all year. So that's why I had to put it in my top five, which shocks me. That is a choice that will shock the world. I think it's still valid. It's a good, good choice, but I was not expecting that. James, what about you? What's at your number five? Well, my three, four and five, I swapped the order around quite a lot. So bear that in mind. Number five, released in February, 2021 in the UK. Promising Young Woman, written and directed by Emerald Fennell, starring the great, should-be Oscar-winning Carrie Mulligan, about a woman who goes around humiliating, punishing, creepy men who try to take advantage of her when she's pretending to be drunk, and it's all done because of uh, traumatic events that occurred in the past with her friend. At the time, I said it's a special film, With the way it was promoted and talked about, you think it's going to be a pretty straightforward message film, but it's actually much, 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 much more complicated. And it's in the top five because I think Carrie Mulligan's performance was absolutely awesome. It was fierce and and strong at the start, but then you see underneath that she's extremely vulnerable. The ending did deflate me a bit, but I think that the ending is part of how complicated it truly is. Cracking choice, only just missed out on my top five list. I say that, along with eight other films. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed that film as well for many, many reasons. does feel weird, that one, though, because it's like we were anticipating it from the very beginning of when the podcast started, and because of the multiple delays, it should have probably been a last-year film, shouldn't it? Quite right that it appears in your 2021 list, because that's when it was released. Fine pick. Thank you. What's your number four film? I've gone left field again. It's Hunter Hunter, which is a real hidden gem that was tucked away on Now TV. It's about a family who live in the remote wilderness and suddenly their peaceful existence is is rocked by the arrival of, of something. Let's just say that. It's like three films rolled into one and to go into that would spoil it a bit, so I shan't. But it's billed as a drama thriller, so take it as that, because it is. There's just a lot more to it than meets the eye. Honestly, it's one of those films where you sit down and you just shove any old thing on. You've heard nothing about it, so you're not not expecting too much, and then it just really takes you by surprise. The ending of this film was horrific, but amazing, and I was left open-mouthed staring at the screen. It's not for those who are a bit squeamish, I'll tell you that much. I just had a roller coaster time with this film, and it's in my list because A, I think it deserves to be, and B, not enough people will know about this. I know one of my friends at all who listens to this podcast, he did not like this film, so maybe it's a bit 
hit a mess for some people. Um, but you liked it though, right? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I could maybe see why someone wouldn't like it because if you don't buy into the tension that it's building up, it might seem like nothing is really happening. Yeah, yeah. But that ending is the most pausable moment of the year, I think. James, what's your number four? Something that I don't think we agreed on completely. Zola. Oh, my word. What's wrong with you? (laughs) I'm joking. Are you entitled to your opinion? Yeah, I am. This is the film of our time that is based on a Twitter thread from a stripper. That's the origin of this film. Something that fits our digital age. Directed by Janique Bravo, who liked one of our comments on Instagram. So we have a personal connection to her. But then when I did the post about Zola, she didn't like that, which really annoyed me. I was expecting that because I did tag her. Also starring Taylor Page as Zola and Riley Kyo as her new friend who takes her on a wild and debauched journey to go and do some stripping. But then they basically get trafficked as it unfolds. But it's the funniest film of the year for me. I really liked the language that I won't try to imitate, but they just call each other bitch constantly. The way it replicates the language of the Twitter thread throughout the whole film was so funny, but so believable. And I loved the way it was shot, how there was the occasional like fantasy sequence. It has the single funniest line of the year, which is when a man is watching Zola strip. The music stops and he just says, you look just like Whoopi Goldberg. I was expecting it to be good. I was anticipating it. So maybe that gave me a bias going in, but it lived up to my expectations. I'm, I'm lost for words. I feel like I've got a character's limit right now because I just I don't know what to say to you. But I like that we've got different films in there and I will respect your decision and we'll talk about it later offline. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> What's your number three? Probably not a shock. It's Palm Springs which I well thought was 2020, but it wasn't. Andy Samberg and Christina Milioti take, I hope I've said that right, take a Groundhog Day premise that's been done to death and somehow make it feel like a refreshingly new idea. I loved how inventive this film was in how it plays with that concept and how it gets humour out of it. For me, it's just a comedy that works on every possible level and it really shouldn't have done Andy Samberg is playing a character that you've seen him do numerous times, but I feel like there's a softer edge to him in this, and it surprised me to think, wow, he actually makes a good romantic leading man, which I would never have thought I would say. And the chemistry between him and Christina Milioti is just a joy to watch. We had to wait a long time for that film, and normally when your anticipation has been building, it's pretty normal to feel disappointment when it finally lands. But this couldn't have been further from that. It's everything that I hoped for and more. It's just a really solid, uh, more than solid romantic comedy. And (laughs) the funny thing is, actually, my partner, she asked to know what my list was in advance because she won't ever listen to the podcast. She just doesn't. She's not dedicated. She's not a fan. But I I told her my list and she went, oh, Palm Springs, what's that? And I was like, that's that film that you absolutely loved. And despite me showing her a clip and the poster, she still has no memory of it. That's an issue, and I will solve that. Just don't know what's going on inside her head. But anyway, that's my number three, Palm Springs. Excellent choice. I may come to regret not including that. One of the best songs of the year 
which has Kate Bush cloud busting in the finale, which I did listen to over and over again in the immediate aftermath of watching Palm Springs. Yeah, unexpected that they managed to make the Groundhog Day premise so good. And I believe it's still free on Amazon Prime if you haven't managed to watch it yet. So go on. James, what's your number three? My number three is Rironi Kenshin, the final. Now, I know I'm not going to pronounce the names correctly in this. It's because I don't like doing the foreign language pronunciation of foreign languages when I'm speaking English. It really, really annoys me when people do that. Like when people say France when they're speaking English. Anyway. Like you did last week. Yeah, as a, as a joke. All oh, right. Well, we can't always get when you're being ironic. No. You know what I mean, people might just think you're in a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Veroni Kenshin, the final, the samurai film that is part four of a five part series that is available on Netflix. This is a kind of Lord of the Rings Return of the King style award where I'm giving it to this, but it's kind of in recognition of the whole series, which I discovered and watched in full this year. But Veroni Kenshin, the final. And the one after that is the one that was released in 2021. So it still counts. And it is about a former samurai who vows to never kill again. And he has a back blade sword that he can hit people with without killing them. And he's trying to live a peaceful life away from his past, but his past chases him down and he needs to confront his demons, confront his mistakes as the country around him tries to move on from its past and become a modern nation. Takeru Sato is Kenshin. I've never seen him in anything before. He is an absolutely fantastic protagonist, very silent, still character, but with incredible depth and emotion. And he pulls off the action very well. He has a love interest or companion throughout, played by Emi Takei as well. And she's also great a tough female character which is a theme throughout my top five i think you'll realize by the end it was the action film of the year for the stunt work and the real action that it had and are they all available on netflix yes they are again not something that i watched but i will consider it once again bit out there no one's gonna have these lists but us no one no daniel what's your number two film of the year It is Inside by Bo Burnham. 2021 is the year that I discovered Bo Burnham, firstly with a a 2014 special that he made. I have no idea how that flew under my radar, but I I loved it, and I've probably watched that five times this year, which is a wee bit sad, but because of how much I loved that, I immediately watched this new special upon its release. And even though I kind of raved about it when I reviewed it on the podcast, it was something that I was still digesting, I'd literally watched it the night before. And to give you some background, it was filmed at the height of the pandemic. It's a one-man show that is written, directed, edited by Burnham, and it all takes place within his apartment. And what this guy achieved from a technical perspective is something to be marvelled at. I'm not even going to try and explain it. You need to see it to appreciate it. Bo Burnham is a complicated bloke. He struggled with anxiety which caused him to take a five-year break away from comedy because he was having panic attacks before he went on stage. And I am going to say, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Even if you liked Make Happy, this is a different beast. It really is. Because for a comedy, there's there's a huge pang of sadness with this. You, you can tell that this is a guy who is struggling with his mental health. And some might say that it's, it's a manufactured thing that is part of his celebrity persona. 
but I I buy into it. I think there's something quite profound about some of his songs, and if you listen to them enough times, which I have, believe me, there's a lot in there, and there's still laughs to be had, and there's certain satirical songs like White Woman's Instagram and Welcome to the Internet, plus everything else that's packed into this 80-minute runtime. These songs have stayed with me ever since I watched it, and at least six of them are in my top ten most listened to on my Spotify raps list. So I've just relived this special for the best part six months now i can't even remember when it came out but that's why it's my number two i suspected this was coming i'm sorry to say i haven't watched it i definitely will i have experienced some of it by accident there was a song on spotify that i listened to called that funny feeling by phoebe bridges and i didn't realize that was a cover of a Bo Burnham song from Inside that is all about the contradictions of modern society, about yeah. like, obeying the traffic laws in Grand Theft Auto Five. So I listened to that and thought, this is genius. Like These lyrics are the work of a genius. And it turned out it was Bo Burnham. Well, there you go. James, what's your number two? I might have messed up a bit here, and I'm in a bit of a panic. I'm going to say Wolf Walkers. Okay. TV animated film, which I thought was released early 2021, but it appears it was released in December 2020. But we reviewed it in January. We reviewed it in January. And I think because of when we did our year in review, we did not have the opportunity to discuss it until we did our year in review. So I think this still counts. Oh, yeah. No, you go for it. I'm, okay. I'm down with that. It's fine. Wolf Walkers, the animated film directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. The film is the third and final installment of Moore's Irish folklore trilogy. Not seen the other two. This film is about the residents of a town in Kilkenny in Ireland in 1650. And they're working to clear the woods under the orders from the authoritarian Lord Protector, who's English, boo. While they're clearing the woods, they encounter a wolf pack. And it is then the story of rebellious daughter Robin, who body swaps with a wolf at night. She becomes a wolf walker. And it is about the tension between the town who's trying to cut down the forest and the wolves and the rest of nature trying to be nature and not get wiped out by the coming industrialization at the time i said that each frame is like a work of art it is a painting that you could hang up on your wall i don't have a language to describe exactly what it does but it has an odd perspective where you're looking in some scenes where you're looking down on a scene but all the characters are viewed from the side. Or scenes where you've got a character in a forest and just to make the point about them being surrounded, all the foliage is just around them in a circle, like regardless of the realism of it. I thought that thematically it's very strong, it deals with things like oppression and maintaining nature against the onslaught of humanity, which is like similar to Princess Mononoke. It also starred Sean Bean. And I just thought it was fantastic. And I watched it two or three times, which I didn't do for many films this year. Another very good pick, again, is in my honourable mentions, which I now shall not mention, but yeah, didn't quite make its way in there. But I can see why it's so high. It's, it's a very, very good animated film. Daniel, the time has come. What's your number one film of 2021? I'm sure this doesn't come as a surprise to you. Again, it is Coda, the criminally underseen film that i really need to sort out i will force people to watch this it's one of the most heartwarming 
I'm tear-jerking films of the year. I think I said at the time, don't let the fact that it's a tear-jerker put you off because I promise you will not regret watching this film. Because, yeah, you may shed a tear, but it's life-affirming. It's inspiring. Get it watched. This has the honour of being one of only two films that I've watched multiple times this year. And in my opinion, it's really easy to see why. Amelia Jones is a revelation in this. She's so charming and watchable. And I was just bought into her plight throughout the entire thing. And if you know nothing of the deaf community, clue yourself up, watch this first, and perhaps Sound of Metal as a side dish. But nowhere near as good as this film. But Corda, hands down, my favourite film of the year. It's, it's funny, it's moving, it's informative, it's everything that a great film should be. And I think I'll I'll be praising this for years to come, I've no doubt. It's essentially a coming-of-age film that you've seen a million times over, but the family dynamic is different and more different than anything you're likely to have seen before, which makes a pretty run into the grand plot feel original, and I wouldn't change a single frame of it. There's also no death or murder in it. That's always a positive as well. So huge reason to sign up for a seven-day trial of Apple TV. Maybe give Wolfwalkers a watch within that seven days as well. And one one thing that I will say I regret, we did a double bill. We've done one double bill every year. We did Coda alongside Pig, and I regret not giving this film the airtime that it deserved because it is, as I say, my numero uno of 2021. James, any thoughts on that? Mm. I do have one thought that it is also my number one film of 2021, Coda. I don't think you said what it's about. It's about a child of deaf adults. She is the interpreter for her deaf parents and they run a fishing business in the local community and she is the access point for her father and brother while they do the business of fishing and she juggles that with her school life her romantic life and her ambitions to be a singer and join a prestigious music school so there's a lot going on i agree with everything that you've said amelia jones a revelation who it should be noted carries the film in a in a unique way because her family are deaf so she is doing almost all of the verbal work in scenes so it's all sign language and obviously non-verbal acting, but she's the only person speaking most of the time. So there's a lot of weight for her to carry. As you've said, educational as well. In a time of representation and inclusivity, this is a good representation of deaf people. The being deaf is not their entire character. Eternals, I'm looking at you. They are full, sympathetic, well-rounded characters, criminally underwatched and written and directed by Sean Heder, who I will watch with great interest. Likewise. And I know you touched on it and I just skipped over it entirely, but what this film does from a musical standpoint, it's not a musical, but obviously she's in a musical school and that's a big part of this film. Some really good numbers in there that affected me emotionally and the way that they play with that in terms of the family and them being deaf and therefore how do they get to experience. Her love of music is just so so touching it is a near you can't ever say a film is perfect but it is near perfect i like i say i wouldn't change anything about it no and even being two hours long the second time i watched it i thought was this really two hours that seems a bit bit long for what it is but the pace is also great and those the songs that you've mentioned both sides now 
is the Joni Mitchell cover that, that she rehearses a lot throughout the film. And Beyond the Shore is the song that's on the end credits. Those two songs are my most listened songs of the year on my Spotify 2021 wrapped, which just shows how, how much I loved this film. I just wanted to continue experiencing it. So there we have it. I'm glad that we we don't plan this, by the way. We don't share lists in advance, so I had no idea what was in James's top five, with the exception of Coda. I could have guessed that for both of us, but nice to see that we did align both times with TV and film for our number one. Yeah, so what was your top five again? My top five was The Weird Choice Greenland at number five. Then we had Hunter Hunter, Palm Springs, Bo Burnham's Inside, and Coda. James, do you want to hit us with your list again? Yes. Promising Young Woman, Zola, Rurouni Kenshin, The Final, Wolf Walkers, Coda. And I honestly believe what I said earlier. I think if you review the majority of top 10 lists from around the world, from different news sources, I think we're going against the grain, which is not a bad thing. Yes. And something that we've both done, and again, not intentionally to be edgy, with the possible exception of Greenland, we've not included big blockbusters in our lists. No, very true. And maybe that should be, I mean, we've not quite reached global success. I mean, we've got global listeners. We've got one in Germany, at least one. Well, yeah, there's more than that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, saying our piece and, and making it known that this churn mill of blockbusters isn't always what people want to see it's not what ends up being the god best content of the year and we should see a lot more of this i'd love to see more indie films next year but i'm afraid that's probably not going to happen i think what it is is that once we get into thinking about stuff a bit more we realize actually there isn't much going on with these blockbuster films which is obvious but it just gets exposed when we commit ourselves to speaking for 30 minutes about a film we've watched and then realize actually it's <laughs> not a lot to say about black widow is there no and you know we we're, we're just like every man and woman we get swept away on the hype train sometimes so apologies for getting wrapped up in all that we do need to keep reviewing them though because they they do bring in the big numbers James, what are your honourable mentions? What did you have to stick firm on and say, I like you a lot, but I'm just not letting you in? TV and film we're doing, just to be clear. Something that I watched twice that was truly amazing because of the insight offered was 9-11 Inside the President's War Room, which is a feature-length documentary, which was great because it had archive photos from pretty much every key moment of the day of 9-11-2001 and interviews made specifically for this documentary with all the key players like George Bush and Colin Powell and on down for all the senior people. I can't believe they got that access. It was brilliant. It's the best 9-11 documentary and I have seen a few. The Beatles Get Back, another documentary, is one of the best things I've seen this year, but just for what it is, I didn't put it in because I appreciate the effort. It was phenomenal what Peter Jackson has done, but at the end of the day, it's a re-edit of 1960s footage so i just didn't want to put that in the top five clarkson's farm surprise hit of the year one of the most purely entertaining things because of clarkson being clarkson and shout out this is the last one to the killing of two lovers that we reviewed which was very nearly in the top five 
about a man who can't quite come to terms with the fact that his almost divorced wife is moving on from him. He's not quite connecting with his kids. Things aren't going well in his small town. One of those films where it seems like nothing is happening. It's following around a pretty unhappy man in a bleak landscape. But to me, the idea was this man wants to shoot his wife's lover in the head at the beginning of the film, but he can't. And in the real world, if fantasy violence isn't an option, what happens then? What do you do? And I really liked that. What about you? What are your honourable mentions? I'm just going to fly through the film list because there is a lot and I don't want to take up too much time. I'll just make a few comments on a few of them. The Empty Man was in there. So that was a horror film that suffered from a studio merger with Disney. It was a 20th century Fox film. And it was dumped on streaming services and found quite a cult following. It's a long film, but there is a lot of ideas thrown into that. Believe me, you will not regret watching it. So I think that is available on Disney Plus now. The Kid Detective with Adam Brody was a high point last year and it only narrowly missed out on my top five. Cruella was one of my highest rated films in my IMDb list, which shocks me. It was eight out of ten, but for some reason just didn't feel it was worthy of being in that top five. Nobody, the action film with Bob Odenkirk. Promising Young Woman, which you mentioned. Same with Wolfwalkers. Dune was in there. I'm surprised that didn't reach your top five. Don't know if you want to respond to that. I do want to respond. Your comment lingered in my head, which was that it doesn't really end. And for that reason, it may not stand by itself as a single film. You listen to me, that's nice to hear. I never, ever take my advice or opinions into consideration. Val, the Val Kilmer documentary absolutely loved that if you are a film lover you will find joy in val even though slightly sad what's happened to him and the last one from a film perspective which i did not talk about on this podcast at all run hide fight have you heard of this no i haven't it came out in america the beginning of last year and it was review bombed and it's to do with the representation of gun control in America, and I think one of the producers of this film is like a media mogul who spun up his own film studio and produced this. And it's all very problematic because it's like a Columbine type situation and it's just fighting off these people with more and more guns. So I can understand why it's deeply troublesome, but it is actually at the heart of it a really entertaining action film. Some troubling messages within that film, but entertaining nonetheless. Run, hide, fight. TV, Doctor Death, which I absolutely loved. Uh, the Serpent, which had its problems, but I did enjoy it overall. And Jenna Coleman just kept my interest throughout the entire thing, I'll be honest. The Innocent, Spanish Harlan Coben, Netflix show. That is it for me. So that was all the good stuff. Yeah. Should we get to the year's biggest disappointments? Yes. First... An annual tradition, this is only the second year, but it's a tradition, we'll take one recommend back. The recommend that I would take back is Army of the Dead, directed <laughs> by Michael Bay. It's not Michael Bay. It's the, other one. it's the other one, Jack Snyder. I think it was one of those films that I thought was in league with Red Notice and Free Guy that was like, it's entertaining enough, popcorn, action, whatever, it's fine. But upon reflection, it doesn't even stand up on the basis of comedy or action or just the pure entertainment value of certain characters or actors. So I'm going to take back Army of the Dead. Well, this is going to be a bit of a dull segment because I also, and I'll say it again, we do not compare notes. This is the very film that I wanted to take back. 
I'm afraid that it boils down to something even simpler than what you've just mentioned. It's not about the film itself. It's about how much shit I got off people for recommending this. I've not come under attack so viciously for a recommend as I did with this film. And it's not even as though I've had time to reanalyze my thoughts on that film. I just feel really ashamed. <laughs> it's pure peer pressure. Yeah, it is. It is entirely that. Because in the, I liked it at the time. I watched it. I enjoyed it. But the, the people have spoken. And as I say, I should be thoroughly ashamed. And I am. Hands up. I apologise. Disappointments then. The films that we thought would be good for whatever reason, but they actually weren't. Or TV, but I've got two films. Disappointment number one was Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. Based on the promotional campaign, it seemed like it would play with the 80s aesthetic quite a lot, have a lot of 80s music. Gal Gadot is good. And Wonder Woman, the original, the first Wonder Woman, was very highly reviewed. Within It had the same creative team. How could it possibly not be an improvement on the first one? But it failed miserably. It was bloated disaster with a horrible wish-granting MacGuffin with scenes where you couldn't tell whether it was comedy or not, where it definitely was comedy. It was bad. The action looked fake. Gal Gadot was still good in it, but she was let down by an awful script that this time was written by Patty Jenkins, the director, who did not write the first one. And it's been said that that might be the reason why things have gone a bit wrong. They shouldn't have let Patty Jenkins write it. Wonder Woman 1984, what a crushing disappointment couldn't agree more so much hatred was leveled at that film for me that i'd tried to erase it from my memory i'd forgotten that we'd even watched it but had i that would probably be my list as well anything else nomadland the oscar-winning film that i hated i fully hated it i was prepared to watch this and really like it i liked the trailer i liked the idea of nomads in in america deconstructing what it is to be in america today hated it overrated trash <laughs> that's, that's overstating it a bit but uh, most memorable for me for francis mcdormand shitting in a bucket well we all know that one man's trash can be another man's treasure but i'll i'll level with you i can't recall what it is that i liked about that film so i'm not even going to try and stick up an argument for it okay just uh, found it quite a tranquil experience. Yeah, and I feel even more bitterly towards it because I think Promising Young Woman should have won the awards that Nomadland won for Director and Best Actress. What are your disappointments? Big one for me, which is... I feel like putting it in this category means it's it's altogether bad, and it's not. Uh, Last Night in Soho, I enjoyed it a lot, but the combination of Edgar Wright, this genre, this time period... And actors who I'm quite keen on seeing how they progress career-wise, it just didn't land for me at all. Well, no, that's not true. It did. I enjoyed a lot of aspects of it, but at the same time, I think we mentioned it in the review that the horror elements were the weakest and kind of detracted from the goodwill that it built up beforehand. So yeah, last night in Soho, I'm afraid to say. That's fair enough. Can't argue with that. Anything else? I won't go into detail because we only discussed it last week. Tick, tick, boom. Showed a lot of promise, a lot of talent involved. And again, didn't really speak to me. There's that one. And the other one of note is probably Cherry. The Russo brothers, hot off what they did with the Avengers and Captain America and all that jazz. It it should have been good, but instead it was a bit of an incoherent mess. Over to TV, I don't think I need to waste much breath on this. Line of Duty, what an absolutely epic waste of my time. Oh, I'm 
still angry. I am still angry. Nine Perfect Strangers, which, again, really good setup, solid first five or six episodes, and then just fell flat towards the end. And I'm afraid to say I could yet be convinced otherwise, but Dexter, New Blood, is shaping up to be quite rotten. That is unfortunate for Dexter, New Blood, after everything you said. Dexter, New Blood, more like Dexter, Old Smell. What a year of content it has been, but one actor has risen above everyone to be featured more than any other this year. We already know. Uh, we'll do a yeah. We'll, I'll I'll find I'll find the closest thing I can find to a drum roll on Garage Band. Insert it here. The most featured actor, featured four times, is Stephen Graham, the hardest working man in show business, who was in Help, Time, The North Water, and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And featured in numerous real new segments, I'm sure. It felt like there wasn't a month that went by when we didn't mention him at least once. So he is prolific. He's arrived. Stephen Graham has arrived. He arrived about 15 years ago, but he's still going strong. Yes. And, oh, wait, now, is he joining us for the, as promised, to receive the... It says, it says, it says connecting audio. Have we got Stephen? Stephen? He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah, I just believe it. Ah, That's a shame. We don't want to finish on a downer, though. Should we look forward to the year of 2022 and the films that we're looking forward to in 2022, which is the next year after this year? The future of a future sound effect. I'll just pick out three from the grid that Google has presented me with when I've Googled 2022 films. We've mentioned Marvel fatigue. We've declared Marvel fatigue with the Eternals. Thor, Love and Thunder comes out next year. If that doesn't deliver, I'm done. I'm done with Marvel. So there's a lot of pressure on Thor, Love and Thunder. Mission Impossible 7, at last, the greatest action franchise currently going. I cannot wait for Mission Impossible 7. And a film that I'm just now discovering exists, Disenchanted, the sequel to my favourite Disney film, Enchanted, starring Amy Adams. Yes, we went watching that in the cinema together and feared that we looked like a couple of paedophiles. I remember that well. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good things on the horizon. What about you? I'm under pressure. I'm just seeing this list now. And I'm going to be a complete hypocrite after my comments about, oh, it's just sequels and reboots. Scream. Cannot wait for Scream. Really looking forward to that because I'm such a huge fan of the original film, at least. Next, The Batman. There's a theme here. (laughs) Nothing original whatsoever. After everything we've just said throughout this whole episode, (laughs) falling back on the big names. And lastly, because I think we discussed this in a news segment, the sequel to the mid-2000s film Orphan, Orphan First Kill, because there's a miracle that needs to take place in that film. I won't go into why, but yeah, I'm just curious to see what they do with it. All sequels or reboots. Probably, I'm sure there are films that are not even showing up here that will surprise us, blow us away. And we hope that you join us next year or join us next week even because we're not finished. We're doing Spider-Man No Way Home next week. We don't even take a break over the festive period. That is how dedicated we are to the cause. Not dedicated enough to release a Christmas-themed episode, but we'll do that next year. James, final thoughts on 2021 or 
onlooking opinions on, on 2022. I don't know. Give us something positive. The MCU will end one day. That's the most positive thing you could say.